You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? You see, but I'm lacking the placement. Thoughts as I rap in the basement, but my come up is legend is greatness. Welcome to the Dennis Postuma Show. I'm your host, Dennis Postuma, and today we have a very special guest, Peter Christian. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, Dennis. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to learn so much today. I, you know, I'm going to try to keep it, you know, semi-timely, uh, and then we'll go for round two or three or four. We'll see how that goes in the future. Terrific. So tell okay. me a little bit about what you got going on right now, Peter. Okay. Well, I am technically retired. Uh, I gave up my consulting practice in uh, the end of 2018, moved to Florida in 2019. But since then, I've been pretty busy so much that uh, people say, are you sure you're retired? So uh, I've written uh, and published two books since then. What about the vermin problem and influences and influencers? Uh, I've written a number of articles uh, for Medium, uh, for my own website, uh, christianbooks.com and uh, also for some magazines design to part is one of them and and consulting uh, is another Uh, I am teaching I am an adjunct professor at Alvernia University teaching uh, project management Uh, I am involved with Rutgers University with their industrial systems engineering program uh, helping uh, to get uh, intern opportunities for students there uh, and in my spare time, I have fun like kayaking and going to the theater and, and things traveling. So uh, lots going on. Retirement that's, is a bi- very busy thing. <laughs> that, yeah, it sounds like it. That's uh, that sounds like somebody who's who's making a difference. So uh, I'd love to talk to you about uh, putting some articles on our our business magazine as well sometime. Terrific. Um, so tell me. So you worked in, in corporate America for quite a few years, right, Pete? And uh, uh, roughly about 20 years in corporate America and then 20 years in consulting. Yes. OK, so tell me, uh, going from corporate America, what you learned there and then how you switched over and why you decided to go into consulting. Um, well, what I learned in corporate America is like everything else, it has its pluses and minuses. I worked for two great companies, Air Products and Chemicals, and then for uh, Crayola Corporation which was known as Benny and Smith at the time. Everybody thought I was a stockbroker. And I went, no, we make crayons. <laughs> and they go, oh, so they finally changed the name to Crayola. Uh, and uh, the nice thing was I was able to do a lot of things. I was not job restricted. Uh, they encouraged you to get into a variety of different functions, even though you were in a particular area at the time. So I knew pretty much all about the Crayola business uh, through the time that I was there, I was in engineering, I was in operations, I was in quality, I was in research and development, uh, dealt with sales and marketing and, you know, you name it, uh, customers and, and clients and so forth. So uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I'm not sure that that happens with everybody in every company, but it, it happened with me. Um, but there's also some restrictions. There's bureaucracy, certainly, in, in large companies that you have to follow. Uh, you can't do everything uh, or anything that you want. Um, but I found that when I left there and got into consulting, then it was a whole new world. Now you're not working for one boss. You're working for many, many bosses because uh, your client companies are now your bosses. And they're 
basically directing you, even though you're trying to tell them what to do as a consultant, they're telling you what to do also as, uh, you know, a hired gun for them. So uh, again, pluses and minuses, but I enjoyed both of them. I, I had great learning experiences from both. I got to do a lot of great things, meet terrific people, wonderful people uh, who I worked with, met some not so nice people who I worked with. And, uh, but it was all learning experience. And I would say if, if you had to weigh it, there was a lot more good than there was bad in, in both areas. And that's, it sounds like you obviously continuing to, as you're retired, um, help people in the business world and as well as other areas. What did you usually focus, Pete, on a certain category or did you consult for all areas or was it mainly business consulting and team building or? A lot of mine was in the operational area, Okay. Uh, working with um, a lot of manufacturers, but also with non-manufacturers uh, on what kind of problems they were having and how to overcome them. Uh, sometimes they couldn't see the forest for the trees, so they needed uh, an outside set of eyes and ears and, and opinions to come in. Um, operationally, productivity, uh, shop floor control, con uh, continuous improvement, supply chain management, uh, got into some system stuff, although that wasn't my strength, but uh, most businesses run on systems or should be running on systems. So uh, how those integrate with the operation and operations and work well, uh, quality control, project management, a variety of different things. Uh, so like I said, it was never boring because I got my hands into lots of different areas of the company and, and people from the, the entry level person to the uh, C-suite uh, people and, and everything in between. Well, that's I. I want to, I definitely want to go over your books selfishly um, okay. for, for our viewers and, and sure. even for, for, for myself, for sure. But okay. I, I do have two questions I want to ask before I jump okay. into that with your experience. Number one is having experience in both sides of those spectrums. What, what yes. does success mean to you, Pete? Success means uh, starting out with uh, an objective in mind and getting to that objective. All right. Uh, and not just getting there, but getting there in, in an efficient and an effective manner. And by that, I mean not wasting time, uh, getting sidetracked into other areas. And that's very easy to do. I teach that with uh, my project management students. We call it scope creep, where people tend to throw additional things on top of a project that weren't there to begin with, but to kind of put those off. Uh, to stay within the, the time frame that was expected within the budget and to provide the deliverables that were there. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Things crop up. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, an ongoing enterprise, and, and sometimes you have to adjust to that. And some of the projects that were the most successful were ones where problems cropped up, and we at least got it back to where we started from without uh, causing any harm to the company or, or uh, to individuals. So I would say that's success is to get that accomplishment. I see a lot of people who spend a lot of time doing things and accomplishing very, very little, and yet they're getting frustrated because they're working on too many things or the wrong things. So you really need to stay focused. I love that definition. That's the way that I really like that definition. I could, I could use that in my own, in my own workplace. As there you well go. There's so many could. Yeah. Feel free. Yeah. What do they what? say? Uh, stealing is of the sincerest form of flattery. So steal away. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, what what do what do you think the biggest fundamental to accomplish those tasks are? What do you think successfully? What do you think the biggest fundamental of success to get that done? Is it focus, or is there a couple more that you want to add to that? Or um, I think there's a couple of things. One is commitment. Okay. If you're going to do something, be committed to it. Don't go in half-heartedly. Uh, if you do, it, that's what the result is going to be, is half-hearted. Uh, so you really have to be committed to what it is that you're working on and what you're trying to accomplish. When you're doing that, you need to stay focused. Again, don't let distractions to get in the way. Uh, if other things crop up, you deal with them as need be, but you need to stay focused on what the original intent was unless that's changed. Mm -hmm. And I would say communication. Uh, there, as much as we have communication these days through email and texting and phones and you know, you name it, we tend to still do a pretty bad job of, mm -hmm. of communicating with each other. And what I teach and, and what I stress to the, the, the people who take my course is communication is kind of a three-part process. One is when I'm communicating with you, I send you something, you know, just like right now we're talking. Okay, so that I'm sending you a verbal message. But that's not enough. That's not just communication. Part two now is... Did you receive the message? Now, I, I see that because you're nodding your head and, you know, we're, we're looking at each other. But if I don't see you and I send right. it out, uh, let's say an email and you never get it, well, the communication or you never read it, you get it and don't bother to read it. Well, that's not part of the communication. So there's a, a break in the chain. So the next thing is get a follow up to make sure that the person actually received it and read it. So that's part two. Part three, then, is you may have a disagreement with each other about what was in the communication and you need to resolve that. Um, now, a lot of people will say, well, I'm the boss and what I say goes. Yeah. But if, if the person you're sending information to, and maybe it, it's a, it, it's not a subordinate, but it's, you know, somebody who is on an equal level with you, or maybe even above you in level, um, you need to make sure that they both understood what you said and that there's an agreement on it. If there's a disagreement and we all have those, we come at things from different ways, then you need to get that resolved. Because again, as much as you're going to be committed to whatever it is you're doing, the person you're working with needs to be committed as well. Just sending it and saying, here it is. And then assuming that everything is going to happen is a big mistake. And I see that happen an awful lot. So I'd say those three things, um, uh, if you, you work on them uh, and work on them well, then the chances of success are much greater than if you don't. And, and the thing about leaving it go, if there is a, a conflict in that um, commitment level, you know, they may, they may not say um, anything about it. And then really you just have half-hearted commitment or no commitment at all. And then you wonder at the end of the project why it's there. That's, that's good advice. <laughs> Yep. And, and communication is an ongoing thing. Just because you did it once doesn't mean that it's going to be like that forever. Things are going to change. You know, people change. Uh, they say one thing one day and then they say something slightly different the next day. So you've got to make sure that their commitment is still there. Their understanding is still there. Things aren't getting in the way that are causing them problems because while you're focused, they may not be. Uh, the, just what you're working on, it may not be the only thing that they're working on. Chances are good they're not. They're working on multiple things. So you've got to stay up on all of that stuff. So it, it, it's really an ongoing process. 
That's that's a good point. And I I meet with my team for our television network every morning, and mm. they that involves the magazines and everything. And we had a very clear vision from the get go. And I just checked after talking to somebody last week. I, I I came in with my team and I talked to them about the vision again. And you know they all needed it redescribed and retalked through because the vision is still the same. But you know we haven't. And and even though we're meeting every single morning, and I just assume. Hey, everything's still, you know, everybody still understands the vision, but we, we still going back through that really connected us to move forward and really make strides quite a bit better this week from doing that. So I, I, I can appreciate that a lot, actually. And I would actually add to that, not just verbalizing, but putting things down in writing. Mm -hmm. When you put things down in writing, they're there and you can always refer back to them and the words are the words because once you put it in writing again you check to make sure that you you've got everything right and everybody understands and they nod their head now if there's any dispute later on you can go back and and point to that document whatever it is and say see what we said because our memories you know as much as we try to remember things it's like playing the game of of telephone where you start at the one end and by the time the message gets to the eighth or 10th person or whoever's at the other end, it's a completely different message than what you sent as the first person. And that happens. And it's not done necessarily on purpose. It just right. happens. That's the way we are. We, we put our own little spin on something. And we change it a little bit and change it a little bit. And the next thing you know, it's completely different. So um, this way you've got something, a document uh, with, my projects, I, I preach project charter, which is a statement about the project and has got all sorts of detail in there about it. And that's a living, breathing document throughout the project. And, and it's good to do that in communications as well, especially important communications to have that backed up. It's not covering your butt, so to speak. In a way it is, but it really isn't. It's a safeguard. So that yeah. if there's any question, you can always point back to that. And the nice thing about having a document is no matter when that is, you can go back, whether it's your own time or not, and be like, well, let me get, let me refine this and make sure that I'm on the same page that I was supposed to be on. I like that yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's get into talking about, so now did you write both of these, Pete, when you were retired, these books? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so, so it's been a busy retirement, huh? It's so, been a busy retirement. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what about the vermin problem? Let's, Let's go into that and let's talk about this and, and kind of the motives behind it and explain a little bit about the book. So sure. where, where did you decide that, okay, I'm going to now officially do my first book? Well, uh, I had collected a bunch of happenstances, experiences, stories throughout my uh, working career. And I would say to the people I was working with, you know, that should be in a book someday because it was very unusual and and, and there was some kind of ending to it, whether you want to call it a moral or whatever the case may be. And they go, yeah, absolutely. Well, never wrote a book. So now uh, I retire and I'm sitting here saying, okay, so what is the first thing I'm going to do in retirement? And I said, well, remember that book I said I was going to write to myself? I said, now's the time to do it. So I did. I sat down and I wrote this book and it started with 12 stories uh, that uh, I had put together that were you know, kind of outstanding to me during my career. I've had plenty of experiences, but these really stuck with me. Uh, and then I had this thing together 
and I didn't know what to do with it. So I got to uh, a chamber of commerce down here in Florida. And I said, is there somebody around who deals with books and helps people, you know, to get them together and get them out and that. And I got hooked up with somebody, a lady by the name of Rena Carcillo, who had also written and published a couple of books. And she kind of guided me because while it was kind of together, it wasn't totally together. It needed to have some kind of a, uh, a better outline to it. So what we did is we took the 12 stories and categorized them into three areas, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So my compliments to Clint Eastwood on getting that. Me and about a million other people have used that now. Uh, and it wasn't so much that the good were just good and, and, and that's the way it was and the bad were the bad and the ugly were the ugly. It was that the good were good experiences. And I wanted to point them out to people and say, when you're making decisions, you should follow this and, and follow the good experiences. And I'm talking about, and chances are good, you're going to be a successful also. The bad were ones where it wasn't company threatening, but uh, companies were kind of putting stuff off and not doing things the way they should. And even when they were being instructed by myself and my colleagues, still weren't doing it and they would continue to have problems. And the point there is, don't do it that way. Do it the other way. So again, a learning experience, even with something that goes wrong, you can learn from it so that you don't make that mistake uh, again and, and you take a different tack. And the ugly were really ugly things. They just weren't sold. In fact, one of them in there, what about the vermin problem is in the ugly and was the name of the book. And that was about communication that we had just talked about. Working with a client, uh, De developing a new facility for them or revising their current facility, uh, they didn't communicate well with us. We thought they were. I mean, they gave us lots of stuff, but they kept changing it. And, and you know, then stuff was wrong and so forth. So finally, we put a stake in the ground, said, this is it. This is as far as we're going to go. This is what we're going to base our, our work on. Uh, so we come to the meeting to present and, and what it was was going to be an expansion of their current facility, uh, more space and also we were going to reorganize it so we were going to put manufacturing where the warehousing was and warehousing where the manufacturing was and the owner says well what about the vermin problem well we had been at this for close to nine months now nothing ever came up about vermin problem well they were in an old mill and apparently they had mice or rats or some combination thereof in there and he says well you can't put manufacturing where we want, because that's where we have the mice and the rats. Well, that's where you store all your materials. So what do you think that, that was happening to your materials? And it was, you had nine months to tell us about this, that we could have taken that into account in our thinking. You hit us after all the work is done and it's like, okay, now what do we do? Um, and it, again, the moral to the story is you need to have good communication. You need to have it throughout. If you want somebody to make improvements for you and you want them to work for you, you've got to give them the right information that they can deal with. Because if you don't, you're going to wind up in a place that you didn't expect to be. And, and of course, it didn't work out. They didn't do the expansion. Uh, they didn't do it for like five years after that because they ran into all sorts of other problems. So it cost them a lot of time and, and effort and money on our part, you know, because we spent a, a decent amount of money doing the work. Um, 
And again, it could have been a, a wonderful experience. If they had given us the right information at the right time, we would have done a wonderful job for them. I think I still think we did a wonderful job. And I think the, the issue wasn't so much where we were putting this stuff as get rid of the vermin. Okay. Yeah. There's things called, you know, exterminators. And uh, I, I've worked in many food uh, operations where they have traps where they're catching the vermin because they have it on an ongoing basis. You can do the same thing there. But, uh, you know, so anyway, so the point of that is 12 stories. Each one could have had a good ending. Each one could have had a bad ending. Some were good. Some were not so good. And they could have been different based upon the actions uh, that people took and, and the thought process that they used. So that was that one. Well, that, that really excites me from the aspect of, first of all, yeah, pulling back the curtain in the final hour instead of disclosing all that at the beginning is a rough one to go through. But I was actually just listening to a video this morning about it, Pete, to where when any of those things arise, which what it sounds like your book is, you sit back and you reflect on what did we learn and what it, where did we learn from this? And I, it actually leads me into a question that I have about mentors, because I think stories, using these stories and these experiences, for me, my mentor did a great job in my career, starting at a young age of showing mm -hmm. me through stories why things were important. And the good thing about that is it reminds me kind of like Mr. Miyagi throughout Karate Kid is you didn't realize that like the problem, the thing is, is you're going to remember those stories, which is the point of what you're doing. How important is it for you as far as now that you're obviously a mentor and through being an author mentoring many of people, how important are mentors and coaches? Uh, and, and what do you have to say about that? A lot. Um, <laughs> Throughout my working career, I always tended to drift to the older experienced people in the department because uh, I wanted to know why things were happening the way they were happening. What, what was the genesis of that? What, uh, what led up to it? Uh, and I was fascinated to hear their stories, you know, to tell me like when I was a Crayola, we had all sorts of equipment to make crayons. People working there, they worked there when they didn't have all that equipment, when they would literally send the unwrapped crayons home to households and people would roll the, the labels on the crayons on the kitchen table. And I was fascinated by that. Can you imagine the logistics of having to take crayons to somebody's house and pick them up and, and deliver, you know, that type of thing. So, and then there was, you know, as they mechanized that they would tell me about how that happened and, and the changes that occurred and how they dealt with it. So I always wanted to know the story behind why things were the way they were, how they got to where they were at. Because when I had to make decisions, I wanted to know that stuff because I didn't want to make bad decisions that kind of went off on a tangent from that. So, and I, and I think a lot of that is lost some, sometimes. So those people were mentors to me, whether they realized it or not, uh, because I listened to their story and man, they would tell stories. They love to talk about their experiences and, and have people listen to them. Um, and then I had mentors who were mentors. You know, I had bosses who mentored me and, and, and guided me and uh, told me that, you know, when I was wrong and, and uh, that sometimes I wasn't quite as smart as I thought I was in a nice, gentle way. But, uh, you know, I got the point across and, and they were a big, big help to me.
Uh, and that came across in my second book that we'll talk about in a little bit. So I'm trying to do that now, both with um, businesses that may be struggling or just getting started, certainly with students. Like I said, I'm teaching and I'm also uh, working uh, with Rutgers University uh, with uh, their program to help uh, students to get internships, but I'm also doing some mentoring with them. So I'm trying to provide my experiences to them so that when they get out in the working world, they can they can relate back to maybe not what happened to them, but what happened to somebody else. Because yeah. you don't have to learn just by letting bad things happen to you. My kids always used to say that. I'd say, now don't do that. And they go, oh, sure. Well, we need to learn for ourselves. And I thought, okay. <laughs> but I only let them go so far. I didn't let them go off the cliff, but I let them get to the edge to see what was awaiting them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and I always wanted that for me, that people would share their experiences so now I want to do that with them and, and hopefully be a help to them. I think it's so important now because I think with all of the um, things out there, all the social media, all the different things that are that are influencing us in the world, I think we miss, it's just like any sports or anything else. I think we are missing so many business fundamentals that if you just went back to the core fundamentals of any business and learned them properly and followed those steps that so many people have gone before us and showed us exactly how to do them you don't have to reinvent the wheel if you get you still have to have the fundamentals so those fancy cars and all that fun stuff it's nice but if you don't have the fundamentals it really does not come so really quick story on that i was involved uh early part of my consulting practice uh when b2b was starting and that was the big thing and oh it was b2b and everything was b2b and i was still dealing with the fundamentals of production and getting materials out and that and people are going oh you're missing the mark it's all the well that was all electronic and stuff and I kept saying okay that's all good but that's on the selling side but how about backing that up with actually making the stuff and having the goods there when you yeah. need them well sure enough that's what came to be in fact there was a commercial one time I don't know if you remember it where a person sitting at a computer uh, and they get the order comes in and they all oh, they're so happy. And then the next one comes in. All of a sudden, this flood of orders comes and they turn from happy to panic. Like, how are we going to get all this stuff out? And that was exactly what I saw. People forgot about you still have to have the fundamentals there. OK, <laughs> now I'm not a dinosaur. I don't live in the past, but I also believe you have to have a strong foundation and you build from that. If you don't have it. You can go gangbusters, but guess what? You're going to crash and you're going to burn at some point. So I saw that with B2B and it happened. I mean, it took off like a skyrocket and it fell to the ground now. Much better nowadays because people sure. learn from it and they took over. But at the early start of B2B, there, were <laughs> there was a lot of optimism and a lot of bad planning that went into that. And, and a lot of companies that started aren't even around today anymore. Okay. Yeah, that makes it <laughs> crash and burn. Yeah, so. that, and that, you know, that's, I don't think I'm a dinosaur either. And, and, but my team told me today, they, they labeled a folder, Dennis's OG folder. So I don't know what I, I was like, wait a minute, guys, I never thought I'd be there, but you know, here I am. But it, that's so funny that, that uh, I listened to a Jim Rohn uh, video the other day and uh, it was, he mentioned the year of the talk and it was 1981. And I was like, wow, you think of, you know, all of the steps that go into um, getting where we are with no Jim Rohn, 
there may not be a Tony Robbins with no Tony Robbins. You know, it's just a, a torch of passing of these fundamentals. And the 1981 talk was amazing. <laughs> so, and you know, we, we think that we're so smart nowadays, but just in time, back in the early 1900s, Henry Ford could make and get a car out from scratch in 22 hours. Have you ever seen putting an order in for a car and getting it in 22 hours nowadays? Yeah. No. <laughs> But yet they could do it in the early 1900s. How about that? You know, and uh, there was also a great statement I heard once about dinosaurs. Somebody said, I guess I'm a dinosaur. And the other person said, dinosaurs don't exist anymore. You still do. So you're not a dinosaur. So I, I felt better about that. So uh, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> there you, yeah, I, I like that. That's a good I'll, I'll put that one in my back pocket, too. So <laughs> there you go. Keep good. Yeah. Like I said, just keep taking them. I'll, I'll keep learning all day, Pete. Okay. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about influences and influencers, and and what what came about by doing your second book. And I mean, said the first one sounds great. Can't wait to get it. Um, tell me a little bit about where that came about and your passion behind that. That was not planned. Okay. As I'm working with Rena on book number one, Rena says to me, and we're not quite done yet. How about book number two? And I looked at her and I said, what book number two? And she said, well, no author ever writes just one book. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, well, you might've just met the first author. <laughs> but you know she got one, me huh? thinking, she got me thinking. And I started to think about other experiences I had. And I didn't want to just continue with what I had done. I wanted it to be something different. So what I, I did is I thought about how I got to that point and again about the decision process. And I thought, well, what's behind that? What's behind that is our experiences, our knowledge, you know, the things that we go through, people who have an impact on us, things that have an impact. So now, and also she told me, now you're going to write it the right way because I didn't just write it and hand it to her and then we figured it out. So we did it in a more organized manner, although I thought the first one was pretty organized. That's just me. <laughs> But anyway, I started to think about where I am today, the decisions I make, the thought process I have, what's influenced me then and what influences me now, because we continue to learn. So things that, you know, things that I thought about 20, 30 years ago, to some degree are very much different than the way I think about things today, because progress has changed and new things happen and so sure. forth. But I started to think about that. And I started to think about all the people who had an impact on my life beyond my parents, because we always have our parents, you know, and we live with them and they nurture us and all that. But people that came along in our lives. So I started to think about my college career. Um, and I had some great uh, professors uh, and again, mentors who uh, who helped me along in a variety of ways not because I asked for it, because they were interested in me as a person and thought that I had great potential and they wanted to be a help to me. Uh, and then I got into the working world and, and the same thing happened. Or similarly, I saw people that I said, mm, that's not the way to do things. It just doesn't feel right, seem right. So you learn from that also about the way not to do things, okay? So I put this compilation together now of um, instances and people and, and so forth to, again, get people thinking about what impacts you. We all have those people in our lives, people who are willing to help us, people who uh, take the time out of their day to, uh, to provide guidance to us when we need it, 
because they see it when we ask for it and sometimes when we don't ask for it. Uh, and that I thought the hook between that and the first book is based on those experiences that kind of guides us to the decisions that I talked about in the first book. All right. And so if you make the bridge between the two, then hopefully the impacts that people have on you and the foundation, again, that you develop uh, will lead you to decisions down the road that hopefully will all hit in the good category. And it'll be very positive for you and, and, and you'll make out well. So that was the genesis for the second book. And again, I started to think not only of the people who helped me, but did I ever really thank them enough? I think I did to some degree, but there were also some doubts about it. So I made a conscientious decision that in the future, I wouldn't hold back. When somebody had an impact on me, I would make sure that I told them about, the, about it, thank them for it. Uh, and, and I make sure that I do that now. And I, I try to get that across to people too, because sometimes you forget and then you don't have the opportunity. Um, you know, people pass, pass away and I've had a lot of that. Somebody asked me, did I go back to those people? Well, in some cases I couldn't, they were gone already. Um, you know, and it was a shame. And I just hope that I did at the time and they remembered that. Um, but I made sure I wouldn't make that mistake again, that I, I would uh, make sure that I was complimentary to them and told them what an impact they had and how much I appreciated it. So that's what the second book is about. I think you bring up, uh, well, first of all, that sounds awesome too. I, does she have you on book number three? Yes, she <laughs> yeah. does, by the way. And she did it in a really sneaky way. Okay? It's a different creative process every time she gets you, huh? <laughs> what she said to me was, what I want you to do this year is I want you to write an article a month for a year. And I said, okay. Well, I was kind of sort of doing that anyway, but anyhow, so I, I picked the theme and, and my theme is what is it that keeps you awake at night? Okay. And I'll get to how I decide on that. So I started writing and after I got into the second month, all of a sudden I said to myself, self, you know, when you do that at the end of the year, you're going to have enough stuff that you'll have another book. So I went back to Rena because we would meet on a regular basis. And I said, you know, I figured out what it is you got me doing. You got me writing another book without telling me to write another book. And she just kind of smiled, that knowing smile, like, yeah, yeah. you got me. Uh, but the what, about, what keeps you awake at night? When I was in consulting, and still am, uh, and I would start a new engagement, well, actually before it started, when I'd meet with the, the potential client, uh, they would usually tell you what their problem was but it may not really be what the problem was, was it was what they thought it was. Right. So invariably I would say to them, so what is it that keeps you awake at night? Which is what really bothers you, bothers you so much that you spend an inordinate amount of time on it and it never seems to get fixed. And it may slop over to where it does cause you a sleepless night or two because of that, it, it bothers you so much. So I thought that was kind of an interesting theme to have. So I've been writing about, all sorts of things. And in fact, I, I uh, just uh, started on uh, an, another uh, segment of it today, uh, unhappiness, about how unhappy people are and, and how it causes and, and what to do about it and so forth. So there's a variety of different things, you know, both business related and personal related, because quite honestly, 
you know, and, and again, even with the books I've written already, while they're primarily written towards business, they reflect life as well. You know, we make bad decisions in life, uh, and again, based on our experiences and our influences. So we need to do a better job of that. And, and again, people influence us in our lives, uh, not just in, in what we do in business, but in decisions we make about who we marry and how many kids we're going to have and where we're going to live and the house we're going to live in. So it's life stories as well as it is business stories. And a lot of people who have read my stuff have said that to me. They said, you know, I've had an experience like that. And I wish I had read your book before that, or I know a person like that. or So they can relate to it. They don't know the same people I do. But again, it's common sense stuff. And I think we all go through it in our lives. So uh, that's what I'm trying to get across to people. It, I like that. That's, that sounds like a really good article. And that'll end up being a great book. And that I think that's a, that's a good way to consult as well. That's it. Because that's getting to the root of it. And I want to touch on too with what you said about um, mentors and making sure you thank them. Um, that's a good piece for all of our listeners who, who have a mentor and um, I remember, you know, just doing a meeting and one of my mentors passed away and it's been a little bit and I couldn't believe the amount of emotion I had in that meeting from just, you know, if you think, if you look back over the last 20 years where I am compared to where I would have been had that person not impacted my life. Oh my gosh. You know, you couldn't even put the price tag on that amount of teaching and, and free mentorship was you couldn't put a price tag on it. <laughs> These were some of the smartest people that my mentors that I've ever come across. And yet there was not one bit of braggadocia about them. They were the most humble, down to earth, straightforward people. Okay. And, and they didn't have to tell you how smart they were because it just came across. Yeah. And, and you wanted to listen to them and you wanted to be like them because they were just so kind yeah. and helpful. Okay. Again, without ever asking. I mean, I had one professor who got me scholarships when I was at school that I had no, no idea about until I'd go to my mailbox and all of a sudden, congratulations, you know, you just got this scholarship. And my senior year was entirely paid for by the scholarships he helped me to get that I knew nothing about. He didn't say, Oh, I want you to apply to this one. Or he just went and did it. It was like, can you imagine that? I mean, a professor that, that, that took that kind of time and effort uh, and just because we had a good relationship and I listened to him and I appreciated him. And then uh, subsequently, when I went to graduate school, uh, uh, the person who uh, helped me with my thesis, uh, he was terrific and he was so down to earth and he was so smart. And it was funny. I think I am still the only person at Lehigh University that never had to defend his thesis, because we got all done. And I had a second uh, person who, who was on the thesis committee. And he says, well, when are you going to do your defense? So I went back to the primary, Dr. Richardson. And I said, uh, and, and we, we always called him Wally. His name was Wallace. And, and he wanted us to call him Wally. Wally, when do you want me to defend my thesis? He says, I don't want to hear that. He says, I've been with you the whole step of the way. We worked on this together. He says, I don't need to hear it. So I went back to the second Dr. Whitehouse and I said, Wally doesn't want me to do it. And he's the guy who's in charge. Well, 
Dr. Whitehouse wasn't happy about that, but I never defended my thesis. It just got published and that was it. So wow. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's <laughs> Don't tell Lehigh about that. They may make me come back and defend it. <laughs> he, he's ready for it now. huh? <laughs> he's ready. Well, he's gone. But uh, yeah, so while he's not there and, and Dr. Whitehouse isn't uh, there anymore, he moved on to yeah. another university. But <laughs> well, let me let me ask you, Pete, one last question. If you could give sure. your 20 year old self one <laughs> one sentence tell your 20 year old self one sentence what would it entail what would it be never lose confidence in yourself and your abilities always stay confident in yourself uh, even when things are, are a little shaky and, and a little bit tough and you will do just fine that's good that's good advice that's really good advice that's um well, I, do you have anything else that you'd like to share? I'd love to hear more. About oh, I got tons of come. stuff, but I think we won't have enough time for it all. So we'll have to do that in two, three, and four sessions. They, hey, but, I'm okay um, with it. I'm, I'm okay with learning. That's for sure. Uh, if I had to say one thing, go out and buy my books. Uh, right. You will appreciate them. You will enjoy them. You will relate to them. Uh, and uh, and with enough uh, uh push on everybody's part maybe book number three will come out at some point i like i haven't it. decided yet i got let's, enough material but i haven't decided yet so let's get it done guys let's get a little encouragement and get it so you get, get the encouragement me. and That's enough not, acclimation and i'll do it <laughs> I, I there you go well we will work on that for sure we'll try to get this viewed as much as possible so people see thank you how do they get a hold of you peter uh three ways first of all i'm on linkedin so if you look up Peter, Peter Christian, and there are a number of Peter Christians out there, uh, but look for author and, and um, uh, adjunct professor and, and speaker and, uh, and you will find me. Okay. And again, I'm located in Florida. So I think that narrows it down a little bit. Uh, second one is I do have a website that I, I publish stuff, uh, both articles and there's stuff about my book and also about my consulting and so forth. And that's Pete. So it's P-E-T-E, -E, leave the R off. And then my last name, Christian, uh, PeteChristianBooks.com. Okay. That's the second way. And the third way is you can email me uh, and it's my initials, P-H. And then my last name, Christian, the number 53. So phchristian53 at gmail.com. Any one of the three, uh, you can send me a note, say I heard you or I read your stuff or I did both of them and I would like to talk about stuff. I just had that, had that happen to me a week ago. A gentleman got in touch with me. He said, I heard you on Gemba, which happened, uh, they, they do a podcast also. And uh, he said, I would like to talk to you. I'm having some issues in business and I would like to just, so we spent about a half an hour uh, on a Zoom meeting uh, talking and he found me uh, through Gemba and, and went on and found my LinkedIn and, and we hooked up. So, awesome. uh, and I was happy to, to help him. I, I think I, I, I gave him some good advice that'll help him with what his problems were. So, so feel free to. Yeah, I'm we, here. We I'm appreciate here. it. We greatly sure. appreciate you being on the show for sure. And I look forward to I look forward to more of it, Pete. So uh, hopefully we we get that ex, the next one up soon. And uh, we have other other venues that we can get you on. So I appreciate Perfect. your advice and your talking today. 
Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. And I look forward to future ventures with you. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye now. Look, I am just a man on a mission. If I want it, then I get it. I go. And if you're trying to test me a beast, you're going to need Liam Neeson. The chance that you're taking is flagrant. You're testing your luck. If you think you'll make it out, then you're sadly mistaken.